Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got JJ Devi with me. JJ, who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? That's a good question. Who am I? Uh, so I am a tier two stock analyst, so the one above tier one, funnily enough. Uh, but yeah, I'm a tier two stock analyst. I work for a company called CyberClan. Uh, I deal with uh, incident response, uh, malware investigations, uh, ransomware, all, all the good stuff um, as a, a blue team kind of security operator. Uh, I've got an extensive security background. I've been a cybersecurity engineer for a fintech company, uh, security analyst for Carnival Cruise Lines. Um, and I started my career in 2018 and it's just spiraled into um, big kind of pits of researching all of the time, studying all the time, lots of lots of free time just gone to study and into a void of unknown research. But yeah, I've been in technology for about nine years now. Um, I really enjoyed it so far. Um, I'm also the creator of the Knock Cyber uh, website. Great. So Knock Cyber, uh, what's that then for those who, who haven't come across it yet? So I actually originally started Knock Cyber as it was was my limited company uh, when I was being a when I was looking to be a contractor, but the role that I was going fell through. Uh, so I thought, well, I, I've got this kind of domain now. So what do I do with it? So I thought, well, I can't just let it sit there. So I thought, let's just change, turn it into a, a careers advice page where I can kind of have like a single kind of pane of glass, even though I hate that term, a single <laughs> pane of glass for career. Uh, changes and people that want to get into cybersecurity so they can go onto the website, they can get some good uh, impartial advice, not, not non-biased advice, go there and they could make their own choices and decisions based on this new info new source of information that they found. So they make informed choices about their career. So that was kind of my motive behind it. And the reason why I started it was when I left the army, I actually had a, a substantial amount of debt. I struggled to find a place to live. Uh, and I had no one there to kind of like guide me through the troubles and, and guide me through the way. And I thought, I don't want to see other people in that kind of situation. So what could I do, even if it's just a, such a small amount, what could I do to help people that are in this kind of scenario where they don't know where to go, they haven't got a direction and they need someone for guidance? So I thought, well, let's just create this kind of database of resources, Discord channels, podcasts, whatever it may be. So people can find their own way with a bit of help. So you said um, impartial advice for, for people looking for career changes and looking to, to get into cyber. Is that something that you think has been uh, a problem then? Is it the uh, impartiality of advice that was out there previously? Or is it just that, that there isn't much in the way of how to do it, how to make those, those moves? So a lot of people have different opinions about how you should get into cybersecurity. And it's about taking the, the good bits from everyone's opinions and put it into one kind of um, single pane of glass. That's the difficult part, because how do you stop your opinion getting in the way? Mm. Uh, so it was like, well, what I would do is I would send it to other people, other professionals, and say, hey, what do you think of this? I don't want to be, you know, hit, I don't want to be hitting the wrong market. I want it to be singing off the same song sheet every single time. I don't want to be telling some people something that's not going to benefit them. So it would be, I would look at the kind of, for example, the, the resume part and the CV part, I would mm. make these kind of uh, suggestions to people. But I'll send it to recruiters and say, hey, you know, what do you think of these? Would you add to this? Is there anything that you might think is not beneficial for the, the career changer? So it does get sanitized by professionals a lot, but I, I do try to remove opinion, uh, opinion away from it. So I may have kind of bad opinions on certain certifications, 
but I wouldn't put that in a website. I wouldn't say that you shouldn't go for this certification because it's not very well known. Mm -hmm. I would say you should do your research in your local area to see what certifications are on the job descriptions to make sure that you're making the right informed decision about your career. So it's kind of difficult to really kind of make it impartial. Uh, and I'm going back to your other question about is there a lot of advice out there? There wasn't. And that was another reason why I created it because I saw that there was quite a clear gap where people are leaving university and they don't know where to go. They're leaving these uh, cybersecurity career changing um, educational institutes um, such as like learning people and places like that. And they're going, well, I've got these certifications now. I'm ready. I'm armed with the knowledge. What do I do now? But they don't know how to connect with the industry. They don't know where to go for a mentor. So it's like, well, how can I shine a spotlight on that information so they don't miss these opportunities? So that was kind of like another way um, that, that gave me motivation to create this uh, website. Yeah, I think, uh, like, I definitely agree with um, the, the reason behind it. Like, there, there's a lot of people out there who are looking for this advice. And I know from my own background that very often uh, the questions that people ask aren't necessarily the, the questions that they're looking for answers for. So a website, that, a website like this could, could definitely help. I'll give an example. When, when I do uh, public speaking, very, very often people say, oh, how did you get into cybersecurity? When really what they're looking for is like, what are my options? You know, this thing you've been talking about is interesting to me, but what are my options? Because to, just to be like categorically clear, I would not recommend the path that I took. I'm not saying like, oh, like, oh, I pulled it off, but I wouldn't say that my, that my method was efficient at all. Um, for, for example, you know, I'm also ex-military and I left the military and went to university and did a master's degree. And it's like that that happens to work for me. And at the point in my life where I was, that that was a path in. But I mean, I wouldn't say to somebody, oh, if you want to get into cybersecurity, go spend the next seven years working in the military and pulling off uh, a degree because there's, there's better options out there. right? There's, there's, there's other ways. So. Is that the kind of thing that you try and do with, with um, Knox in terms of like showing the fact that there's different paths? Yeah, and it's also about teaching people how to ask the right questions. So the most common question I always get asked, and I'm not it, I mean, I've done it a little bit, is how do I become a pen tester? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's a very, very broad statement. One, I'd ask yourself, well, why do you want to become a pen tester? What's your motivation behind it? What do you want to pen test? What's your ultimate goal? What do you want to secure? But then ask your question is, what you need to ask the question, well, what is my path to become a pen tester? What do I need to do to become a pen tester? Not how to become a pen tester. It's what do I need to do to get there? Because there's a lot of crucial bits that lead to that ultimate kind of goal, your, your dream goal. Um, so you've got to look at like the foundations. But what kind of foundations does a pen tester need to have? What kind of uh, business knowledge does a pen tester need to have? How does a pen tester articulate what they know into a report? And it's being able to learn that kind of big bulk of foundation before you start to become a pen tester and ultimately become an even better pen tester. And it's, it's just about asking people the right questions. So if you have a mentor in the industry, make sure you're asking them the right questions that really gets to the kind of the crux of what you want to learn. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that that's definitely something in terms of like, you, you mentioned, you know, um, explaining that knowledge in the context of a report but there's also like in the context of a job interview right it's like how do you make the hiring manager understand the experience that you have and the knowledge that you have and of course the potential that you have i know um i see an awful lot of cvs that have a section usually right at the very bottom usually about the place where it always says references available on request um and it'll it'll talk about hobbies and things like that and it'll talk about the things that the person likes to do outside of work it's like i like to walk my dog and uh do yoga 
Like, that's cool. And um, obviously, there's somebody out there giving guidance that you need to put that on your CV because I see it so frequently. But very often, I see people leaving off things that I would consider um, really good points that should be should be highlighted. You know, do you do CTFs? Do you learn things in your own time? Have you tried picking up um, programming skills? Do you attend security conferences? Those things that are, uh, in my opinion, strongly relevant to your your um, knowledge and experience in the job, but it's not professional experience. It's not things you did during your nine to five. So I think a lot of people leave those out. Yeah, and that's really, really good point is uh, keeping everything relevant. When you're building your CV, I always tell people is leave off the kind of chuff that you really don't need. You know, I don't put my hobbies on there. Um, I might put awards and accolades on there, but I don't put hobbies purely because I need the space to be able to tell the hiring manager or the HR department what I possess. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, the plain and simple kind of fact of it is they're buying a product. You're the product. Your skills are the product. You need to be able to advertise that product very well. Now, if you're buying a can of Coke, you don't particularly want to know about how this kind of Coke was made, how the flavor is made. You want to know the kind of nutritional value of it. You want to know the you know, what's inside it, what um, what kind of stuff is inside it, you know, breaking down all the parts. And that's what they're going to do when they look at your CV. They're going to really look at the nutritional value of your professional skills to what you can offer the company. So they probably don't want to know that, you know, you do backflips in your spare time while it's cool, you know, like save it for the Christmas party because that's probably a quite cool party trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that in terms of like as a hiring manager, there's things that I'm looking out for. And you know, we get, we do get a large number of CVs and trying to work out you know, who's, who's got the experience, who's got the potential can be, can be quite difficult, especially sometimes where people um, do the opposite, where they, they try and cram everything in and you've got, you know, half a page dedicated to, uh, what it was you were doing at primary school and it's like I, I i care a lot more about your most recent role and your most recent relevant experience than i, than I do what you were doing 15 years ago exactly put it on put it on linkedin i mean even if you just have to put uh so i normally put my most recent job and uh, bolt it out with what i did my main responsibilities and any metrics that i've achieved over the time and then my other ones i just keep as a one-liner and then populate my linkedin with that information just because Hiring managers will go to LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Another point is, how do we make it easier for hiring managers? And I think, because I've come across a CV where it literally looked like a brain dump of the index page of Network Plus. It was just <laughs> acronyms. It was just DNS, RPHCP. I was like, wow, okay, you've got to remember that. Somebody's going to be looking at this, and then some of them might not even have a clue what any of this means. So it's like, well, you need to articulate that a little bit better. And, and if you can get your, you know, your CV across in a really good way they're going to see your professional skills your ability to uh, articulate information better as well and, and that can be a hiring decision you know you might not have the knowledge and skills that they're looking for but you may be able to you know, talk the talk and that's probably what they want is somebody that can translate what is dns to a person that has no idea about technology i hadn't actually thought about it in that way but it is definitely something that i see an awful lot on cvs is where uh, there is effectively a paragraph that is just uh, lists of products or lists of technologies and um, I'm not saying don't do that and I'm sure reasonable adults will disagree with all of the opinions that we've got here but one of the things that I struggle with is if you give me uh, a list of keywords I have no idea how much you know that thing have you just found out about that this week I have been learning about Enma or is this something that you've got a decade's worth of experience with and we get that across really well uh, as a general rule 
with our work experience to see how long a person was in a role, what the responsibilities of the role were. But their understanding of the skills areas doesn't always come across very well in CVs. No, that's why I say, like, when you build your CV, try and keep the, the statements broad but focal. And what I mean by that is, let's just let's take your example there of uh, MMAP. Um, instead of saying you've used MMAP, saying that you use a various amount of network security assessment tools, um, and then just go on to explain why you use that tool. I've used these network vulnerability assessment tools to assess the security footprint of the company in order to produce a report to eventually go to a business leader. So you just need to word it in such a way that it's being broad, but focal, and you're getting the right message across that you use these tools, you've got knowledge of these tools. Like vulnerability scanners, no one cares about what kind of vulnerability scanner you use. The fact that you've used one, because they're all very much one and one the same, just different GUIs, different buttons, different features, uh, they're all very much the same. If you've used one, you'd probably be able to use pretty much all of them. So don't list them all. Just say that you, you've got knowledge of them and you have used them in a professional context. Yeah, it's like uh, if you've used any of the vulnerability scanners, I can teach you the buttons of another one very quickly, but understanding the information that it's giving you, understanding vulnerability context is much harder to teach. One thing that I wanted to do, though, we, we mentioned uh, Knox earlier, and uh, you, you mentioned um, the kinds of advice and the reasons that you give that um, advice. But do you cover things like um, what the different roles are? I don't know about you, but very, very often when people look to get into cybersecurity, they say to me, it's like, oh, I want to be a pen tester. There's a lot of roles in cyber, right? And, and also what, what a pen tester does when they're doing web application pen testing versus infrastructure pen testing can be very different. Um, do, you, do you go into as much detail as trying to explain what the different jobs are within cyber? So from a very broad perspective, I do on the website, I say that there's very different roles. It's a very broad industry. But when people approach me, once they've got the website, they normally people approach me on LinkedIn and they say, hey, I've just seen your website. I need a bit of help. And, and I like to challenge their thought process. So if they say to me, I want to be a pen test, and I was like, well, why? Have you looked at anything else? And then a couple of weeks later, they were like, oh, actually, I want to go into digital forensics. Um, and I was just like, well, you know, you're just doing a bit of research. You know, you start to understand that there's more out there available, and you might have a different passion. I mean, I mean, pen testing is cool. It's a, it's a cool role. People want to do it. But we now have this kind of like a situation where at the blue team side, the senior level, there's no one. I mean, I'm, I'm getting approached by recruiters almost every single day trying to poach me for lead roles and it's like well that's there's quite a clear problem at the senior level for blue team because everybody goes sock analyst pen testing so they go sock analyst to get into the industry and then they go pen testing because that's where they want to go and it's like well if we tell them that the you know, just being a level one sock analyst not the be all end all of being a sock you're not just slugging alerts all day when you start to get to level two level three and the kind of more kind of niche roles are in uh, blue team that's when it starts to get fun. I mean, I'm now taking apart different pieces of ransomware to see how it reacts, how it acts with the system, and trying to build like new indicators of compromise for um, tools and Yara rules to try and detect that malware on on the system. It's, that for me, I never would have seen myself doing that from being an alert slugger a year ago, two years ago, to where I am now. Um, and, and security progresses really, really quickly. So if you're in a role, a year later, you're going to be in a completely different kind of role, you're doing a different thing. Even if it's pen testing, you know, you, one time you might be doing network pen testing and then you might be doing mobile application pen testing. It really kind of varies really quickly. Yeah, and that's that's one of the best things about, you know, the, the cybersecurity industry, in my opinion, is that you can specialize or generalize as much as you want to. You can become an absolute ninja in web application pen testing and you will have a fulfilling and long career. Or equally, you can move around. And I think that's something that doesn't always uh, come across to people when they're very early in their career. It's like, 
you don't necessarily these days have to pick a job for life. You might do a few years as a stock analyst and then move over and do some as a pen tester. Um, a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is, is actually um, offensive security software development. So most of my time is actually programming. And I think a lot of people would think like, but you're a pen tester, right? You know, you've, you're known for being a pen tester and there's, there's nothing else to it. And I think um, that's something that's very often missed when uh, people talk about mentoring and talk about um, uh, giving advice is like, if you get your first job and you don't like it, there are other jobs out there you can move. If the role's not for you, if the skill sets aren't what, you know, what is actually your passion when it comes down to doing it as a nine to five, you've got options. See, I, I, like, I like what you just mentioned there where you're, you're developing these offensive security tools because I think the, the best people to develop these tools are the people that have done the role. Yeah. You know, much like the, the best person to develop a rifle is somebody that shot rifles. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Kind of, stressful situation because they know the problems that the soldier may have with that rifle they know any challenges that may come with that rifle any defects so you know the challenges and i think that's what we need to look at is well you can do all these different roles get a taste for different areas understand the problems because i when i was i've done six months as a pen tester and i think for me that really gave me a different kind of view on uh, being a blue teamer mm -hmm. because i was able to understand well i know exactly what i'm looking for now yeah, I know exactly what this log means. So this log that I'm looking at, I know this because that's a privilege escalation in a Windows event log. And I know that because I've done that. Yeah. But if I didn't pursue that red team kind of knowledge, that offensive security knowledge, I would have had no idea. I would have been in Google researching it. But because I've done it and I know how that works, I've got that to bring to my blue team side, which essentially makes, makes me a better blue teamer. Yeah, definitely. The, the the broadness of experience definitely um, helps. There's uh, there's no problem with trying to pick up skills from other roles, even if you are looking to to specialize within within one area. Uh, and also, there's there's no uh, harm as somebody new to the industry looking at you know what we do. And you know, if you don't have a certain skill, that doesn't have to necessarily hold you back. It's very very common for people uh, to ask me. It's like, oh, you know, um, how much programming do you do in your role? Uh, about seventy percent of what I do is coding. Oh, do do I have to know how to code to become a pen tester? Absolutely not. That's a very different question. It's like, you know, what I'm doing in my role is just one example of a very, very broad industry. And it's also not representative of, of what that person's interested in. So, you know, maybe um, you get into SOC because you're interested in malware, or maybe you get into SOC because really you're wanting to be pushing towards forensics, and this is just one step in that, in that journey. How do, you, how do you guide people through the complexity of the different roles and, and where those roles uh, butt up against each other? So that's really difficult. I'm going to try and answer it. So I think you've got to ask very, very broad questions to try and understand their chain of thought first. So understanding their motives, why they want to go into security, why they've been looking at that particular role, um, and then maybe making kind of little subtle suggestions about different roles available just to see if you can kind of like change their chain of thought that they can go out and research themselves because it's a very, very broad industry. I mean, I learned about another role the other day, a cybersecurity lawyer. I didn't know that existed. And I went out and I actually spoke to a cybersecurity lawyer and I was like, holy hell, this is a real thing. It's a real job. He had no idea about te network technologies, no idea about um, kind of pen testing or anything like that. But he knew the kind of regulations and, and the legal requirements required by a company if they have like cybersecurity insurance or they have a data breach. He was all over that. And it's just 
being able to tell somebody that it's a very broad industry, go do your research, it's not just pen testing, it's really, really powerful because then it gives them that ability to go, oh, hang on, maybe I need to utilize Google a little bit more and type in some more broader questions. What roles are available in cybersecurity? Um, and then you're just going to be met with pages and pages of information. And unfortunately, you have to go through them. You have to do your research to find out what makes you tick. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the cybersecurity lawyer. I was at an event yesterday, and one of the questions was posed to the audience of, um, is it illegal within the UK to write malware? And it's uh, surprising how many people, when given very specific questions like that, don't actually know what, what those answers are, or they're kind of, uh, maybe they land on the right answer, but they, they don't land on the right answer for the right reason kind of thing. So um, yeah, it is, it, it's an incredibly broad industry, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite funny, because that was actually one of the questions that I was talking to him about. Um, and he went on forever about the computer misuse act, going, oh, you, you can write malware, but only in certain circumstances. These are the clauses that you need to be aware of in yeah. the act. I was like, I have no idea. I'm not going to be, you know, too horrible, but I really don't. Yeah. Not, not, to, <laughs> not to jump too much down that rabbit hole, because neither of us are lawyers, of course. But um, yeah, just a, a, a passing comment on that would be, um, instead of writing malware for hacking, what if I wrote a software implant for equipment interference? Different terms for yeah, very I mean, similar actions. To be fair, to be fair, when, when, I, when I'm taking apart different pieces of malware, one of the things that I'm looking for in particular is what makes it malware? What makes it malicious? What makes it interact with the system? So being able to take that bit of code out, you know, rewrite it in such a way that it, it does something completely different, because you've got to understand that when you're when you're looking at malware, that variant is old. There's a new variant already out there of that code. There's a new piece of that code already out there that's probably doing the same thing that you're trying to make it do. But if you can try and beat it to the punch, that gives you that little bit of edge. I was actually speaking to a um, a professional malware developer, and then I was just like, "That's a crazy role." <laughs> uh, he develops um, malware that's, that's, that kind of simulates a APT activity. Um, so he writes that for pen testing teams to test their blue team. So they will fire that against a network and the blue team will be like going around crazy, like running chickens, um, just to build up their skill. And that, that, that's a really good point as well. Gamification in, in security is amazing. Yeah, definitely. So we talked earlier about um, Knox having you know information for people to, to, to understand how to get into um, cybersecurity. But you mentioned earlier the idea of mentors, is that something that you think is uh, critical or is it just, just for some people? How do mentors play into a person's journey into cybersecurity? So I think mentors can be for absolutely anyone uh, and everyone at any stage of their career, uh, even if you just need a sounding board, just somebody to go, okay, I'm thinking about doing this kind of high-level certification. I'm thinking about doing SIS. Do you think it's right for me? Can I have your opinion? Because uh, I, I think somebody else's opinion is really, really powerful in your career. But when you're starting out in cybersecurity or your career switching, having a mentor or somebody that's got that industry insights is going to be so beneficial to your career because it helps you align your studying. It helps align your um, community engagement, so your engagement on LinkedIn a bit more. Because uh, I had one, one uh, person come to me, and I said to him, look, get a camera, put a suit on, video videotape yourself introducing yourself to the industry and i guarantee you that will get you at least 50 likes on linkedin and people approach you lo and behold he went and did that and a month later he got hired and it's just 
he, he probably would not have done that if he didn't have a mentor, if he didn't have someone to say, go do this, because he doesn't know that's a good idea. And it's about reaching out to people to find out, well, how did they do it? Because maybe you can pick something from that mentor, pick something from that mentor, put it together and make it work for you. Yeah, and also sometimes it's not necessarily that person coming to you with, you know, direct advice. It's just having the conversation with someone, you know, checking your own thoughts. You know, it, I think uh, I think a lot of people come to the, the understanding that, you know, you never really know something until you can explain it to somebody else. And if you're, if you're considering, you know, these um, career challenges and you talk through what your thought process is with another person, that alone can be hugely beneficial. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that I've been trying to do with one of our mentorship programs is, um, getting people to do presentations about a subject, any subject, even if it's so trivial, like what's TCP IP? Let's do a 30 minute presentation on it. Mm -hmm. Just so you build your speaking skills, you build your confidence. And it's amazing how many people just don't want to do it because there's this kind of like, they, they feel that they're going to be judged. They're going to feel like that they're not hitting the right mark. It's, like, well, it's not about that. It's about taking that knowledge that you have and being able to speak it to other people that you don't know. Um, so that I think that's really, really powerful is, is, is if you are looking to do that kind of a public speaking present, present, presenting, ask your mom and dad, go to your mom and dad and say, hey, I'm going to tell you what a network is, because then you're explaining a technical subject to a non-technical person. That's a professional skill. That's something that is going to blow your career up. Yeah, definitely. I think something worth um, pointing out as well is very often we only talk about mentors in the context of uh, people who are junior to an industry or people who are looking for career changes and things like that. But um, all the way through your career, you can get a benefit from a mentor. There is always something that you're you're looking to learn or something that you're looking to do that is new to you. I mean, presuming that you don't score your first job and then that's it, you never develop again. So I think that that's worth pointing out is that mentors shouldn't just be for juniors. The mentors should be for, for everyone. Uh, and that means that, you know, we, we should be looking to, to encourage people who, who can help to become mentors and to look at themselves as being able to, to help people. You could be relatively new to an industry, but you've still got knowledge that's useful to somebody who's brand new to the industry. Or you could have been in an industry for a long time and, and have information that's useful and ways of thinking that's useful to, to people who've been in it years themselves. Yeah, I mean, even I have a mentor and I, I bug him all the time. I mean, I, I mean, I've spoken to him before and he's been like, no, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but I need that sounding board because if I went ahead and done that, I probably wouldn't have been any better off. And it's, yeah. it's getting somebody that's been through that journey, they've been through the trench and they know what to do. And it's learning from their mistakes as well. So any mistakes that they've made, you can avoid them by having awareness of those mistakes. It's almost like risk management for your career. Yeah, you mentioned professional skills, of course, as well. There, things like um, public speaking skills. How do you encourage people to to do things like public speaking, given the fact that for people who've never done it before, it can be an absolutely terrifying prospect? So that's a really difficult one. So I, I kind of have like a natural kind of bravado and confidence because I came from an armed forces background, but my first kind of ever public speaking was delivering security awareness training to 60, 70 people in the classroom. And I opted for that. And I think you've just got to be able to take the risk and take the jump and just go for it. But it's, it's having that confidence to be able to take that risk because that lead up, that period leading up to you presenting is the worst time of your life. That one hour leading up to it goes so slowly and you're panicking sweating you know shaking but it's, it's an understanding that if you do this it's going to benefit you so much as a professional it's going to validate a lot about what you are and what you know so if you go into that room and you deliver you know a kick-ass speech about security 
you've just validated yourself as a professional. And I always say to people, and it's a, it's a very cliche line, but I think it's, it's very appropriate, is you, you don't know what you're capable of until you put yourself in the arena. You can train with a sword and shield every single day fighting dummies, but until you put yourself into that arena, you don't know how you stack up against the competition, and you don't know where your, your weaknesses really are. So if you do have the chance to do a podcast, public speaking of any sort, even at work delivering security awareness training, do it. Go for it. It'd be the best thing you've ever done. I think that is that is such a big thing. Of um, I think people see good public speakers and they think that like they're born like that. But of course, it is a practiced skill. And you mentioned, oh, you know, like explaining TCPIP to your parents. It's like explaining anything to a person where you have to formulate your thoughts and deliver them concisely and clearly. That's a good skill. Uh, and also, you know, it's not like we're expecting on your first presentation, you get on front of the stage for in front of a thousand people for a six hour lecture. It's like you could do little pieces at a time, can't you? Speak to one person, speak to a couple, speak to friends, speak to, to work colleagues. Um, a lot of the security conferences have uh, the lightning talk tracks and things like that, don't they? Where they, they let you have uh, a shorter go at it, maybe just a 15 minute uh, lightning round on, on a certain topic. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for, for people who are, who know professional skills like public speaking are important, but are maybe scared. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, I, I've been invited to do physical talks, and I've just not got the confidence right now to go. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm at that stage now where I've done a lot of virtual talk, but that physical talk for me is a different ball game. I can talk all day about security to people that are not in security, but talking security to people that are in security is absolutely terrifying. It is the most terrifying thing in the world. Uh, I always compare it to going to a Weight Watchers club and getting yourself weighed because they're people doing the exact same thing and you're terrified because you think you're going to be judged. But when you realize that they're just there to learn off you and they're just there to take your experience and bolster their own knowledge, that's when it starts to become easier when you understand that your audience are there for a specific reason. They're not there to judge you. They're there to learn from you. They're there to hear you talk. So they have they value what you have to say. Yeah, and it's not like every time somebody gets up on a stage and delivers a talk, it has to be absolutely groundbreaking research, right? It can just be presenting something to somebody who's new to that topic, like security awareness training, right? That's That can be very basic to us as cybersecurity professionals, but if the audience, it's not their thing, it's very useful to them. Or sometimes it can be, you know, taking research that has been delivered previously, but formulating in a way that it's either applicable to a new area or it's just easier to, to understand for that audience. You know, like um, every time a, a, a maths teacher delivers a maths class, they're not, it's not groundbreaking research, right? But it's educational to the people in that audience. Exactly. And that, that's essentially what university is, is you're looking at past research and you're trying to come up to, with a specific outcome to a problem. And that's what a presentation is uh, in, in a lot of security is you're looking at these different kind of research papers, these different findings, and articulating it into a nice presentation, well-delivered. Uh, so like a well-delivered paper, well-delivered presentation, hitting the right notes, making sure that you're covering the right topics. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's not about going there going, oh, I've just managed to uh, hack NASA with semaphore flags. It's, <laughs> you, you're going there delivering a, a, a good talk on a good topic in a manner that engages the audience. Yeah, I give an example as well for, for those who are listening and the kinds of things that uh, come up for me with uh, penetration testing. And I'm sure it'd be good to, to hear from you, JJ, about the, the public speaking that you do in, in the day job kind of thing. But uh, one example that, that I've had recently is 
uh, delivering a security assessment report to a customer. The report's uh, very long, very detailed, um, something like 60 pages in this example. And they, the company wanted us to present a summary of the report and then take questions. And doing that is uh, a different kind of public speaking skill. Again, it's not, you know, a brand new research. It's not um, teaching them about a topic. It's summarizing something. And that, and that uh, picking out the key points and, and formulating it clearly and concisely is a different kind of challenge. And then, of course, taking um, questions is very important to that business. You know, they gained a lot of value from that, but it's, it's a different kind of public speaking. What, what do you do in, in your day job in terms of presenting to other people? So when I speak to clients, uh, I, I try to get a feel for who they are. Then I know my audience. So if I'm speaking to somebody that's an executive business leader, they're a director of the company, they don't have any technical knowledge, they have no technical background whatsoever, the most technical thing that they've done is turned on the laptop in the morning, I need to really dial back my tone. I need to not be condescending, but I need to hit the topics that they need to hear, what they need to know. So do they care that I've managed to uh, find a SQL injection vulnerability in their, in their API? They don't care about that. They don't even know what API stands for. They don't know what SQL stands for. You need to tell them that the potential risk is a monetary value. It's something that the business needs to worry about. But then when you speak to someone that's hyper-technical, you need to speak version numbers. You need to speak uh, different ports. You need to speak all these different kind of uh, softwares and technologies. So the first thing you need to do is understand your audience. And the second thing you need to do is what does your audience need to know? What are they trying? What's the outcome that they want from this meeting or from this, this speaking event? What is their, the outcome that they desire? What do they need to learn? Um, and then you need to have like uh, what I call um, checkpoints in, in, in your meeting is, is asking them, do they have any questions? Are they happy? Um, is there anything that they want to go over? Because I can guarantee you that you could be the best speaker in the world, but you're going to miss something um, and give the different message every single time. So it's just making sure that the, the customer or the audience are getting the value that they want from that speaker. And I always go in with um, the kind of mindset into a meeting, even if it's technical or non-technical, is customer is first. They need to know what they need to know to improve their security. Because we're a, a managed security service provider. So at the end of the day, it's the customer, customer, customer. It, it's, it's not I can show off my prowess because I know TCP. It's I need to tell the customer what he needs to know to go away and secure his business. Yeah, I think that's that idea of like understand the audience, learn the audience is critical in, in any public speaking. Another thing that, that comes up very, very often for, for me is that uh, people people presume an awful lot that um, directors of businesses and business leaders, is, uh, they're non-technical. And that isn't always the case. But that doesn't mean that in that meeting, I want you to get into, you know, um, the specific layout of the frame as it passes down the wire. What I'm probably looking at from that meeting is how do I prioritize this problem across the thousand other problems that I've got? So it isn't only just things like uh, understanding the audience to get the, the technical level right for the people that you're speaking to. But as you say, it's like, um, what is the impact to them in that context? You know, if it, is it a business impact for vulnerabilities, those kinds of things? Is it um, prioritizing this project over the, all of the other projects that they've got? And I think, you know, it all starts with knowing the audience, right? Yeah, I've made a I made a very crucial mistake at one point. I was uh, I was delivering um, some information to this director. I presumed because I was quite naive. I presumed that they were technical. <laughs> Turns out the guy helped uh, devise some of the RFCs for TCP yeah. back in um, the seventies and eighties. And I was like, oh, God, this guy's like a networking god. He was like a 
a two-time CCIE, and I was like, oh, my God. And I didn't realize it because I, did, I didn't research the guy. I didn't go onto his LinkedIn and have a look. And then when I went on to LinkedIn before, I was like, I really should know myself. Yeah, and, and uh, knowing your audience from a public speaking point of view can be, can be really difficult. But I think you, uh, you actually mentioned the answer earlier. You can, you can ask them questions, right? You know, like get, getting from that audience, those checkpoints, as, as you mentioned, of like, you know, are you following? Is the pace okay? Is there any terminology that I've used that you, you know, wasn't quite right? Am I, getting, am I pitching at the right level for you kind of thing? You know, there's no harm with that, with asking the audience and make sure that they're um, following along. But equally you've not gone the other way and you know you're being a bit slow and they're saying yeah this is all this is all good can we can we speed it up a bit yeah exactly it's a, it's a two-way conversation that's what a lot of people don't realize it especially when you're on the stage you think that there's a big black veil gone across you and you're speaking into this wall um i call it the speaker's block you're just speaking into this wall that's not the case you're speaking into an audience there's another person there make it a two-way conversation point questions at people engage them just even if you just talk about something stupid, like, you know, maybe you talk about risk, you say, oh, well, what's your biggest risk to your business? What's the biggest risk to your business? And then just talk about it because then you make it personal. It's a two-way conversation and they're engaging. If you just sit in there, death by PowerPoint, saying the same thing and over, over again, throwing in acronyms, they're going to get so bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've mentioned uh, the different roles that people can get into and, and making sure that they understand their, their options and, and researching that. We've talked about some of the technical skills and how people can pick up technical skills through research. We've talked about professional skills in terms of presenting and things like that. What about the other professional skills? If somebody's looking to break into cybersecurity, I think everybody knows sadly one of the big parts of whatever role you've got is going to be report writing. How do people... Uh, gain skills like writing technical reports and then demonstrate those within you know the context of job interviews recruitment that kind of thing so there's many things you can do um, most common one that people do is uh, write-ups for machines that are done on hack the box or try hack me and they do write-ups uh, but I, I i commonly see a very big mistake with write-ups and it's they just give you the answer to the question they give you a step-by-step -step guide of how to complete the box i tell people to approach that box as if it's just a vulnerable machine on a network and your, your main goal at the end of that write-up is to explain to the customer the exact steps that you've taken, how it worked, and why it was vulnerable in the first place. And then at the end of your write-up, add a little spiel on there about how you can mitigate this vulnerability, how you can patch this machine, how you can protect it. Because then you're taking your write-up to a next level. And there's also creating blogs. Not everything's going to be write-ups, not everything's about pen testing. Create blogs about different topics in security. Talk about GDPR, talk about risks. Talk about how privacy and security work in tandem. Um, explain why they're different uh, facets. It's just people need to go out there, out of their way, create a blog, uh, write about stuff. Even on LinkedIn, create an article on LinkedIn. Uh, I think one of the biggest worries is, is criticism. People worry that they're going to get criticized. I get criticized every day. I mean, I block people every single day because they send me kind of abuse or whatever. I don't care. I'm, I'm kind of immune to it. But, you know, some people may be a little bit more scared about it. They, they may be a bit worried about it. I think you know, you're going to get people that are going to dislike your content. They're going to get people that are going to judge you. Just stay your course and keep doing it. Keep writing that blog, making an article. Yeah, it's such a good thing as well, because um, you know, when you're going through the recruitment process, you're doing job interviews and things like that, you've only got such a finite time to get across that, that um, good impression. And having uh, content that, you know, the hiring manager can review is is really, really powerful. Um, and it also allows a conversation to be had about those things. You know, if the interviewer is, an, is uh, asking questions about specific areas of expertise and you can link to, oh, I've written about this previously, you know, um, here's a, a reference or something like that. Th those are very useful. 
And of course, I, I keep dragging things back to pen testing. I'm sorry, but it's my own background. Feel free to to, to pull us in the other direction if you if you'd like to. But um, that is that is one of the things. Um, very often in job interviews, people can. Um, evidence their ability to compromise machines to understand vulnerabilities to talk about remediation pointing to references like hack the box they're great for that skill set but another thing at the end of the day is explain this issue to a customer because that's a big part of what we do and, and i use the term the generic term there explain because it could be a presentation it could be a phone call or it could be a, a technical report uh, they're all important yeah and i think what another thing that i, I want to touch on is uh, a professional skill that I think every human should have, regardless of the entry, is emotional intelligence. They need to understand what emotionally drives their audience. They need to have empathy. They need to be able to really relate with the people that they're speaking with, especially when you're in like a data breach situation and they're sad because their business reputation is on the line. Um, they feel that they failed their customers. They're going to be down in the dumps. They're going to be emotional. I I've seen new people come to tears because they think that their business is down the drain. Um, and it's being able to resonate with them at an emotional level to really kind of support them and be that kind of bashing of support because they're coming to you for security services, for support. And it's being able to resonate with them and really kind of understand them at an emotional level. That's when you build really powerful relationships with um, you know, business leaders. That That's so true, the emotional intelligence, especially within the, the context of uh, of breaches and security incidents and things like that. Very often when dealing with uh, incident response that I've done previously, you're, you're operating in such a different context to your average nine to five. You know, if you've been in the office for 30 hours dealing with an incident, the things that you're worrying about can, can often be, the person that I am talking to is incredibly tired. And we, we all know what we're like when we get really tired, right? You start to get a little bit dumber than usual. You know, like I start slurring my words and stuff like I'm drunk because I'm just so tired. You've got to start thinking about things like, when was the last time my team ate? Because we've been doing nothing but dealing with this um, this breach. Or I think that emotional intelligence is is key. I mean, I mean, it's really easy to point it in the context of incident response, but just, just broadly understanding the context of the person that you're talking to is really, really, really important. Yeah, and it, it, that's, that's another thing that makes you shine in an interview. If you go to an interview, have that emotional intelligence to understand why they are interviewing for this position. What's their ultimate motive for this position? Why do they require a security analyst? Why do they require security at all? It's being able to pick on those points is that you can really start to manipulate the conversation in such a way that you get your message across at a much more deeper level that resonates with your audience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, JJ, thank you very much for joining us on, on today's podcast. Before we close out, is there any uh, resources you want to point the audience to, anything like that? How can they find out more about Knox? So website is www.knoxcyber.co.uk. Um, it's plastered all over my LinkedIn, but I'll, I'll give you the link as well. Uh, but yeah, just go, go ahead. Any questions, be feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. JJ, thanks again. Thank you.